Hello and welcome to the Colts Cover 2 podcast. I am Joel A. Erickson. I am joined as always by Nate Atkins. We are doing our second consecutive first impressions pod from a highway. This one is a little bit uh, spicier because uh, we do not have a photographer with us. No Bob Shear here to drive. I am driving. Um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go for it and see what happens. Good way to pass the time on the way back from Cincinnati. Nate, uh, I want to start here. H- how does this game does does this game change your view of the Colts? Uh, they lost thirty four to fourteen today. Got blown. Got the doors blown off of them. Uh, does this change your view of the Colts? I think a little bit. Today brought out all of some of the concerns that we had. We've discussed a lot on this podcast that it, that they'd sort of played around, overcome, managed really well. All the things that kind of made, you know, the concerns that were there, but Shane Steichen was overcoming in so many ways. They just, it was a hard, hard regression game for them. And this happens in the NFL. They've had games like this before. The Saints game very much felt that way, kind of a crash to earth of some of the things that were bubbling beneath the surface. But what changed, I guess, my outlook a little bit, uh, we'll get into a little bit more of the categories, but I just... The story of the season to me of why they were seven and five when when none of us really thought they could be here with a backup quarterback is how good they were on the offensive and defensive lines. And I think both of those were the those those units crashed really hard today in terms of regression. And I don't think it means that they're not good or that this is going to be a repeat performance. I think this was kind of uh, the worst case for for those units. But this is the time of year in December when. Those units matter more than ever, and they often can be sort of the difference in whether a team makes the playoffs. And so you know, just a few days ago, we did a podcast, and, and you asked me if I thought the Colts were going to make the playoffs, and I said yes. As of right now, I'm, I think it's kind of 50-50. Uh, a lot hanging on the game that they're going to have next week, but not just as, does the loss and, and the math of that make me a little less confident because it's still a super crowded wild card race I'm just not the formula that they took to get here it isn't it doesn't seem as strong after what I saw from the offensive and defensive lines today well I so I I think that the thing I keep thinking about is there's a very clear way to stop the Colts offense right now and it's working and we 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 may it maybe got masked a little bit um by first a uh, 155 yard rushing performance against the Buccaneers and then secondly by Alec Pierce uh, getting deep and the receivers having a really good game against Tennessee. But in both of those games, the elements of what are problem, what's problematic for the Colts' offense is there. Right now, the Colts have, um, and this, this is like a bonus number of the day, but they've rushed for fewer than 100 yards uh, four times in the last five games, and that's after – they rushed for more than 126 yards six times in the first eight games. They can't run the ball against teams that are playing lots of base defense and stacking the line of scrimmage. They just they just haven't done it, and and that's that's a big concern because what happens if you can't run the football is the ball it goes to Gardner Minshew, and Minshew has proven time and again that he can't he's not going to will this team to victory in that way. He can't put the team on his back and carry them, and so. I, the, the, that offensive issue, which has been there for the last four, it, it was there during the four-game winning streak, but it it's it's compounding itself 
and, and really, really was was bad today against a, an offense that was um, in the Bengals that was very capable. And then the other thing was they were playing a, a Bengals defense that had been terrible all season, and they still couldn't get anything going. And so now, now I'm a little worried about the offense. Yeah, I mean, it's the things that we initially were worried about when Anthony Richardson went down and they went to a backup quarterback who doesn't have the run element to him, who doesn't have the vertical arm to him. And we just wondered if they had enough. They were going to have to lift him up. So was this team ready to do that? Were they, you know, young receiving core? For a while there they did it because they had the one-two punch in Taylor and Moss offensive line playing way better than anyone thought and the receivers really had all kind of fit their roles pretty nicely I think certain things are happening right now where youth is showing itself a little bit at you know Josh Towns is, is going to end up having a great rookie season but to count on him every week to make you know to have these huge performances there, there's a little bit of a rookie wall element to a guy who's dealing with a knee injury and tons of volume this year like certain things just fall off a little bit. I think we saw some youth moments today from Bernard Ryman and uh, Will Fries, who've, who've really impressed this year. But they are young players who who are susceptible to, to dips. And then, you know, I, I think the, the the loss of Jonathan Taylor really, really was felt today. And it goes back to what you're talking about with how teams can stop this offense. Now there were times when Taylor was the running back. Teams would run this sort of you know, base defense, bare front, and would stop him. But I still feel like there, he was still creating more that wasn't there in those days. Like, whatever this ba- the baseline was, Zach Moss had, like, 2.6 yards of carry today. I feel like Taylor could have gotten that number into the threes at least, made a little bit of a difference, and you never know where, you know, that keeps the team in the game a little bit longer. Uh, just the, the floor has fallen out a little bit without Taylor out there and without – you know, when you don't have that upside at quarterback or running back, right now it's just like it, it, the floor can fall out when the backfield is going to struggle and if the offensive line isn't having a dominant day. The other piece of this in terms of the Colts' playoff position is that everything around them is super jam-packed now. There are, as we're driving home, there are six AFC teams at 7-6. and six. Only two of those teams would make the playoffs if – the playoffs started today and the team in the five spot the eight and five browns you were looking at the uh the browns schedule when we first got in the car here and i mean it looks very gettable for them oh yeah yeah they've got games against the bears uh jets at home they go with the texans who currently have a very banged up offense and then quintos game against the the bengals and they have the quintos against or the the tiebreaker against the colts so barring barring a, a super surprise, the, the Browns' defense seems like it's going to carry them. That leaves six teams for two spots, and there's not much margin for error when it's six teams for two spots. No, and that's where like we knew today was going to be a big matchup for them. Um, felt like a coin toss game. They to get hammered the way they did. That's why I lessened my view of them a little bit if it was if they lost a close game you know they were due on a four game win streak to eventually drop one of these they're not they're not at that tier where they're just going to win every game but uh it, it just puts the pressure on the matchup against the Steelers a matchup later in the season against the Texans like those they it kind of feels like they need to win those two games not only for to, to get the wins in but to knock those teams down to to get them almost a little bit out of the picture 
Yeah, it, it's a it's a much uh, much murkier picture than it was even when the day opened. They have a huge game coming up against the Steelers on Saturday, but this is the First Impressions podcast. We're not talking about that game yet. We're talking about this one. Let's move into the categories. Colts lost 34-14. Nate, your villain of the day. There is no shortage of candidates for this position. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to even uh, pick just one, to be honest with you. Jeez, um, I'm going to... How do I pin it down to one? I guess I'm going to go with the Colts' pass rush. So, it's a hard day for them because the Bengals had a really nice plan to try to avoid them. You know, so they ran the screen plays that everyone saw that gashed them like none other. You know, they did other things like uh, they've they, they're doing like this sort of like a, a pin pull rollout uh, where they're creating space for the quarterback on the move and freezing the defensive end, uh, you know, other play action, stuff like that. So so some of it is it's a respect level given to the Colts. But within that, like, they just seem to take they, – they seem to take the attack front style too far. They didn't adjust. You know, it's one thing to give up one screen pass on, like, the – one of the first drives of the game that went for the 54-yard touchdown, but they gave up two more after that that were killer. They they just and they those guys owned it too. They they felt like they did not play up to their standard because they they almost were like they, they rose up to number two in the league in sacks this week. They have their full healthy group, and they just thought they were going to go out there and and beat Jake Browning into the ground. And, and the Bengals with a great plan turned that right on them, and the Colts just never really adjusted to that. They didn't adjust to the screens. They didn't. Uh, even on some other plays, like even on when they did get them in third and long, just not the the pressure that we've seen from them recently. Only three quarterback hits, zero sacks. That's just not remotely good enough in any game, especially you know, especially against a backup quarterback. So even though you know some of it was was you know it was designed to make it hard on them, there's still a group that has you know that that want that believes they are legitimately a top five group. They're the, it's on them because of the way they built this with very little investments at, at cornerback and releasing Shaquille Leonard. It's not necessarily completely fair, but all the investments are in the defensive line with first round picks, second round picks, free agent contracts, you know, the, the obviously DeForest Buckner's huge deal. Uh, and just not, I, I can't think of one of those guys that I thought really played well. And that's a problem. It's one thing if, if it's a little harder to get the quarterback or maybe one guy has an off game, but for them to all kind of have an off game, like they, they needed to bring it in this game, and I just didn't think they brought it at all. The the other piece of this, uh, just to kind of add to what you're saying before I get to my villain of the game, uh, the Bengals have given up some sacks, specifically their tackles. Orlando Brown, according to Sports Info Solutions, has given up nine sacks this year. It's the second most in the – tied for second most in the NFL entering this week. Um, and then Jonah Williams had given up six. And so Samson Ebicom, Quiddy Pay, just they, they didn't really take advantage of that at all. You didn't see a lot from uh, Buckner had had a, had a few nice rushes that didn't go anywhere, um, and he had a batted pass uh, in terms of in terms of a little bit of pressure. But yeah, just just not a lot from the pass rush. Felt like there was some opportunity there against the Bengals. They didn't take advantage of it. It really kind of a crash to earth after 21 sacks in the previous four games. Uh, my my villain of the game is uh, is Shane Steichen, and I think Ooh. Shane Steichen overall is. 
a has been very very good for the Colts. Uh, I just think that you know, in terms of wh- when a team comes out this flat, they have this kind of game. Like yes, these games happen, but you you didn't need to have one of these in the middle of a playoff race. Whatever whatever when it goes into that, whatever goes into that part of it, the motivational part. Um, they they just didn't they didn't have it. And the other there's a couple other things. So I didn't like. I didn't like his decision to, not that this like played a huge role in the game, but his decision to not to take a, to not to decline a penalty that would have given them second and 18. I didn't really like his rationale for it. And then the other piece of it is, this team has not been able to run, as we said earlier, against heavy fronts. And I get heavy fronts are hard to run against, but also, I know you can, I know teams can run against them because I've seen the Colts do it in 2019 and 2021. And they haven't been able to find answers yet, and that's that's concerning for me, just given going forward what they have for this season. Yeah, actually, the only quibble I have with that is I I do think that the decision to not accept the penalty on the blocking back I think that was a big moment because in that moment in, in time they're down seven. Yeah, I think it's late in the third quarter, and the Bengals are in field goal range. That was Shane's rationale. They're already in field goal range. Well, if they kick a field goal there, but you get the stop as a defense, like there is some lift to that. There is some sort of, uh, there's a little bit of momentum you get from, you know, from, from getting them off the field. And not only that, but if you put them back in second and 17, I think they would have put the Bengals in a spot where either the pressure's on them to try and manufacture 17 yards in a couple plays at a condensed portion of the field in the red zone where you can't run these deep routes with, with Jamar Chase, which is a big reason why the screen game is working is how much the Colts had to back off. Or you just put them in a spot where they're going to do what I think they would have done, which is sort of turtle up and with a backup quarterback and play for the field goal. Either way, being down 10 at that point still feels like you're kind of in it. But when the Bengals just sort of – when they got it to fourth and one, they convert the fourth and one on the ground, they punch it in like physical style, like they – that was the knockout blow to me, was to go up 14, the way they did it in the trenches, the, the back-breaking nature of that. Uh, just, they were not, there, there was just no way, no scenario with the offense the Colts had today that they were going to come back down 14 points on the road in the fourth quarter on this team. So, to me, that was actually the moment that swung the game. Not that swung the game, but the moment that sort of sealed the loss. Yeah, just just the kind of performance. I think the worst performance they've had this season. I think I think even the the game in Jacksonville, um, which was kind of the way all games in Jacksonville go for the Colts, and was really bad, and they had all the turnovers. I think it just felt like it felt like they did a little bit more in that game. This this one was it's bad all around. It's trying to get to our next category is going to be really really difficult. I'm I'm going to be really nice to you and let you have the first one. And I, I don't know if there's I, I don't know if there's one pick, but for for hero of the game, but there it's definitely gonna be hard to find two. Yeah, I actually think there is one that's. I mean, there's no great hero of the game, but there's one that that I think is a decent answer, which is Michael Pittman Jr. Uh, statistically, he's the only guy, offense or defensively, that you look at his stat line and you're like, okay, you you really delivered. Uh, he had eight catches for 95 yards, targeted 11 times, efficient day. I thought he caught you know, the passes that went to him. He had the two-point conversion, which is the one moment in time where they felt like they were in the game when they tied it 14-14. Uh, you know, he, 
he had the same deal where that it's been in recent weeks, which is the opposing team knows where you're going to go uh, with the ball, and he's he's finding ways to produce. And really, that's just about the only offense they had today. They couldn't run the ball. They couldn't get it going to Alec Pierce. Uh, they got a, I mean, a, a couple plays to Will Mallory, but pretty much it was Michael Pittman Jr. catching the ball, converting for for, for first downs, or, or getting the two point conversion. So, I mean, it's, there were no heroic moments within that. But I thought, as far as one player who like came in and on the road and delivered the way he's supposed to deliver. That was the guy that came to mind for me. That's probably a good pick. Um, it gets hard now, though. It gets really difficult now. And there's there's an obvious one that I think I'm going to push to unsung. And we'll, we'll, we can talk about it when we get to this person. But <laughs> it, I'm going to go with Will Mallory. <laughs> that kind of sums it up. Five catches today on five targets, 46 yards, I believe. I'm driving, so I don't have the stats in front of me like usual. Um, yes, those are right. Uh, I don't have much to say here other than, like, a nice little performance from the rookie. Not not in a winning performance, but that's not really his fault. Um, I had to pick somebody. That's, that's kind of where we're at. Yeah, it's nothing against Will Mallory, but if he's the hero of the game – um, but there's not an impact play within that. I mean, it kind of sums up like they just they're, they're the guys who should have been the heroes didn't step up and deliver that way. Yep, that brings us to unsung villain of the game. We could stay on this one for the entire drive back to Indianapolis. We'd be fine. Uh, my unsung villain of the game, and all of these are going to be sung villains. I think everyone's pretty much locked in on on all of the bad. Um, I hate to do this. Uh, because I think he's had a really good season. I think his development is one of the biggest developments of the season. Bernhard Ryman had a pretty tough game against Trey Hendrickson. Uh, Hendrickson had two sacks. He forced the interception, uh, hit Gardner Minshew's. The ball was still in his hands. It came forwards. They ruled it as an interception, but it was created by Trey Hendrickson. Uh, And then there were at least two other penalties. There was a tripping. There was a holding that I think got declined. He had a false start. Just just a tough game for him. Um, and it's the, the thing I love about Bernhard Ryman is that after the game when we talked to him, I got I got a couple questions in him before I had to go talk to Gardner Minshew. But, you know, like I just said, hey, tough matchup against Trey Hendrickson. What 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 did you learn from it? And and Ryman was already saying like without me even like asking it directly, it was like he got the best of me today. I need to be better. I have to go back to the film, figure out what I did wrong. Like that's that's who Ryman is, and that's why he gets better so quickly. I think, is because he's always owned it. He did it last year when when he was really struggling as a rookie, even though he was kind of thrown into a situation that wasn't the best for him. Um, but yeah, a, a really. But in terms of uh, of unsung villain, just a, a bad day for him today. Yeah, it's it's another example with a lot of a lot of the developments in this game where like even even guys who are have, have seemingly you know, hit the ground running this season, turned their seasons around, really like overachieved, really even showed consistency. A lot of them are younger guys still doing it early in their careers, and, and there's going to be some ups and downs for them. And it's impressive that we got this late in the season before having to have this conversation on, on Ryman. Uh, it says a lot about where he's come, but it does show that, like, while well, he's come a long, long way, there's going to be moments where, you know, he this is new for him too, This this idea of, going on the road in a meaningful game in December and handling a top flight pass rusher, like really having to just 
be the guy that makes the difference. And it, it was just for one day, it was a little too much for him. Um, yeah, there's so many guys I could go with with for this. I'm I'm gonna go with Amir Speed, uh, just because the they probably the Colts were not coming back at the point when uh, he backed up into Isaiah McKenzie on the punt and, and forced him to drop it and, and, and the Bengals recover. But to me, that was like it was so emblematic of what today was for the Colts, which is just like they they made the simple difficult. They they did the opposite of how they're uh, of what they're coached, and it was a guy that Shane Steichen singled out in the press conference. It's just to him that summed up how not ready to play this team was, and just just disappointing after you know a week after it felt like the special teams had a breakthrough that they were making difference making plays. If you're not going to make the difference making plays, you've got to at least do the simple ones. You've got to be able to get the punt back after you, your defense finally gets a stop, which it wasn't getting, and. Uh, that just that that individual play that may have been the worst play of the day. That brings us to unsung hero. I'll let you go first on this one. Unsung hero. Man, there's not a lot of options. <laughs> um, hmm. I guess Rigoberto Sanchez was decent. Oh, there you go. Um, that's I'm really reaching at this point. Because uh, <laughs> Will Mallory would have been a good one for unsung hero, but. Uh, but he ended up being the hero, well, so which explains like, today. Like Ronnie Harrison, which neither of us have picked for a hero, obviously he had the pick six. But we were talking about this uh, on the way on the way out of the stadium. The problem is he was also part of the defense the rest of the day. So that you get the pick six and it's the big moment. But I think that the unsung part of his day might have been some rough stuff in coverage when you look at the tape, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was – Pretty much he was filling in for EJ Speed. It was a new role for him, so obviously it's understandable that some parts of that were not the most natural, but that was, I think, a big – Not a, it, it was a part of why things were, were a little hectic. Not having EJ Speed today, it just collectively on the back end of their defense, there are a lot of holes, and the Bengals really found ways to exploit them. But I think he's a decent choice for Unsung Hero because if you if you think about plays today the Colts made that impressed you – how many were there? Well, the, my my actual unsung hero I was going to pick was Mo Ali Cox because he had to make a real catch. Yeah, that's true. The, the touchdown catch was a real catch. Uh, he said that he said in the locker room after that they didn't expect the the defender to be quite as as ready for it as he was. And Minshew put it up there and he made a good catch. So I was just, I was going to give it to Mo Ali Cox for getting the offense's only only touchdown. But Ali Cox is also part of the run game. Like it's the same thing with Harrison. Like you end up, you end up like going, okay, they had this big moment, but there was there's probably some bad on their ledger too. Yeah, and that's that's fair. I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll make mine, Ronnie. That's a better choice than <laughs> than the punter on a day when really Rigo was punting because his offense couldn't do anything. Uh, Ronnie Harrison, I will just say that like that's the one guy who struggles in in the other parts of the game that we're discussing are, are pretty understandable. They they found out yesterday that EJ Speed wasn't going to be able to go. You know, they made the choice to cut Shaquille Leonard and not have a true backup at that uh, that, that position. And, and Ronnie Harrison, who's been trained as a will linebacker in base defense, is now playing, you know, as one of the two linebackers in nickel and just taking on this full-time role. And, and he's come a long way learning linebacker. But, of course, there's going to be – you know, he, he's – 
he did the thing he's good at, which is reading the quarterback and making a play on the ball, and uh, and, and he delivered on that. This, the areas he struggled are, are a little bit more understandable just because this is the first year he's ever played this position, uh, and he's a little undersized at it, obviously coming from safety. But I will say that the, the one play he made that's still – when I think through, like, if you made a highlight reel of good plays the Colts made, that's one of the only ones that comes to mind. That brings us to number of the day. Uh, my number of the day is 11 and a half. That's Jake Browning's yards per attempt. Uh, he kind of did it every way you needed him to. He had, he had 100, they had 124 yards on screens, which actually could have been the number of the day, too. They had 124 yards on three screens. But they also had a 46-yard ball to T. Higgins over Daryl Baker Jr. He moved the chains well. Jake Browning is maybe kind of proving right now that he is a pretty good backup, like a legitimate backup in the league. Um, and and just from a Colts pass defense scenario, we talked midweek about how we kind of felt like the pass rush has been masking some stuff with the with the secondary. It's all there today pass rush went away the pass rush went away and there were there were plenty of opportunities for the Bengals Browning mostly took advantage of them and 11.5 yards per attempt it's just such a it's such a big number it's a huge number it, it'd be hard to win a lot of games giving up that many yards every time they drop back yeah and to give it up to the backup quarterback I mean that just kind of sums up how bad of a day it was uh, my number of the day is 16 which is the longest play that any Colt not named Michael Pittman Jr. had today. So Michael Pittman Jr. had a catch that went for 31. Uh, but outside of him, Will Mallory had a catch for 16. Zach Moss had a 12-yard run. And there were some other plays right in that range from, from Downs and Moss as a receiver and Pierce. But the thing is, this is a sport about explosive plays. And we hear it from Shane Second all the time. Last week, that was a big reason they won, was to get two explosive plays to Alec Pierce other games they've they found it in the run game uh to run this many plays and and only have one play over 16 yards is, it's just not gonna cut it especially when you can factor in the Bengals defense is bad like to not be able to occasionally get not we're not even talking like 60 yard plays i mean to not have a 20 yard play outside of one to michael Pittman uh just kind of summed up how kind of little juice they had today that brings us to game day observation. I know you had one. You said you had. Do you remember what you had early in the game? It might yeah. have gotten lost in all the rest of it. I actually do. This was right before the terror started, and we were standing for the national anthem, and I was. that's kind of the first moment I really am looking out to the crowd. And uh, I just love the T.J. Hushmanzada jersey that I spotted. Uh, you know, we love the vintage jerseys on this podcast, and uh, it wasn't the best day for that for the Bengals, but T.J. Hushmanzada <laughs> – just one of the most fun players for me growing up. Uh, I grew up in uh, Northeast Ohio, so watched a lot of the Browns, but they were out, you know, they were, it was Browns and Bengals on TV all the time there. And so, you know, and then three years in there, the Browns didn't have a team. So I kind of kind of watched both those teams a lot. TJ Hushmanzada was one of the just more fun players, especially in an era for the Bengals when they really didn't have much of anything else. It was kind of like him and Corey Dillon, and they had that long stru- stretch of, not making the playoffs and then finally I think with Hushmanzada uh finally broke through and they got Carson Palmer so I was just kind of a fun throwback to like uh kind of one of those good players from the from that stretch when the the team wasn't very good game day observation for me the Bengals play this like 
70s era old school song. I think after every touchdown, maybe. I wasn't paying close. Well, they played it a lot today, so probably. I I all teams should have one. If they don't have one from the seventies, they should make one up, and just make it sound like that. There used to be a song uh, that when the Chargers were in San Diego, the San Diego Superchargers song. Love that. Get give me any that one's song, a jam. Yeah, give me any song that sounds kind of old timey, like it was on a cartoon show from the seventies. I will eat it up. The Colts should come up with one. Every NFL team should come up with one. I, I don't even know the words. I was, I, they, they kept playing them on the screen. I wasn't paying close enough attention to know that. I just, uh, I give me, give me those songs. Love them. Yeah, I enjoyed that too. I've kind of always enjoyed the Bengals sort of like throwback nostalgia with some of that kind of seventies, eighties cheesiness, like the, you know, the who dat. Um, who day? Who day? Who day? That's right. Saints or who dat? I mixed them up. But we were debating that. Who day goes back to the '80s, so I think they can claim some originality there. Um, uh, my game day observation, made especially for Joel, was I loved my halftime meal. <laughs> yeah, we we have to do this for the listeners. <laughs> we have to do we have to do this for the listeners. Nate, uh, Nate, I'll, I'll, here's the background. Nate is talking about Skyline Chili. Nate likes Skyline Chili. I refuse to try it. Yes, and my whole thing with Skyline Chili, it is, if you haven't had it, it is it is a bit of a polarizing concept. Uh, it is chili on spaghetti with cinnamon in the chili, and the famous way they do it is the five-way, which is you add in uh, beans and onions and cheese, and for me, hot sauce, and it just kind of... It's it's you know it's it's a concept you have to kind of be open minded to and I understand I I am fine with anybody who has tried it and decided that's just not for them I understand some people are not thrilled with cinnamon and, and chili it took me a little bit of time to warm up to that but my whole qualm has been if you have not tried it you cannot knock it and so I feel very validated in my take the skyline chili is very good it, as far as anybody coming at me who has not tried it. My counterpoint is that it smelled terrible. Well, once you realize it smelled how good it, truly awful. Here's the thing, though: is everything's relative. Is once you realize how good it tastes, then all of a sudden your smell reminds you of that taste, and it's good. Also, a couple things: I lived in Texas for three and a half years. Noodles and chili do not belong to each other. Belong to each other. They don't. Cinnamon absolutely does not belong in chili. Chili should be hot and spicy and, like, full of peppers. It's chili. I think you can do both. Should not be sweet in any sense of the word. And, yeah, just putting it on noodles, like, no. Like, spaghetti is for, that's what spaghetti sauce is for. You put spaghetti sauce on noodles. You don't put, you don't put weird, sweet, terrible-smelling chili on noodles. Well, the chili is just like its own version of the spaghetti sauce. It's like a spaghetti sauce that has like meat in it and like tomatoes. Instead, in this full spaghetti sauce, uh, you can use good chili. <laughs> if you don't like cinnamon, then like this thing is, I understand the people who don't like the cinnamon part. It is a little bit different. Like my parents are like that, but they will eat it. Just the and the other members of my family, they'll eat it though, like their own version of that recipe and. 
I don't know. I have been around people that have had this attitude. And they're like, I would never try that. It's so bad. And then they finally try it, and they're like, you know what? That's kind of interesting. And that was kind of my route to it initially. Because to be honest with you, even though I'm an Ohio guy, I'm a Northeast Ohio guy, they, we do not have skyline above Columbus. So now that I have family in Columbus, I'm around a little bit more. Yeah, Skyline's you know branched over into Indy, but you do not really find it. Like you won't find it in Cleveland and whatnot. So I didn't really try it for a lot of my life, and and took me a little while to warm up to it. But I'm there now, and I enjoyed it. It offends me that it's called chili. Well, you know my other take on chili. I think chili is. You said chili was boring. It's a little. It's a little. It needs a little something else with it. Yes, I think chili by itself is a little boring. I'm good with chili, like chips and chips and chili is good, and I think spaghetti and chili is good. Chili itself is fine as like kind of like a side dish to something else. I am not thrilled when like chili is like the full meal and that's it. It's it is a little boring to me. Properly made chili should have enough flavors that it can be the the centerpiece. Well, to me, that's kind of like eating just the spaghetti sauce. Yeah, no, we're we're never gonna come. We're never gonna come to an agreement on this. Uh, we're not because you're not gonna try I'm it. Not gonna try. And it. I'm not gonna respect your opinion it's, until you do. It smells terrible. Um, that brings us to three th- football things that gave me joy. This one's gonna be very, 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 very tough. Uh, number one football thing that gave me joy: Mo Ali Cox's Eurostep celebration. That was nice. I love the callback to his basketball career. The way he executed it was great. I heard a rumor that there was a, a, a bigger basketball celebration that one of his teammates was trying to get him to do that uh, he did not want to do because he would definitely get flagged for it. So, but yes, the Eurostep Sally, big fan of that. That was very, very cool. It's like <laughs> his his whole story to get to this point is, is, is amazing to think about playing basketball at VCU, and here he is years later and, and carved out the career he has. So to honor kind of that path, especially at a unique play, uh, was cool. And so I'll go with that play. It's one of the only plays they ran today that felt like, you know, a really cool scheme that they executed really well. So Zaire Franklin was in on that play. What was interesting about it was he was out on the field and the Colts took the time. I think the Colts took a timeout, or maybe the, it was the Bengals, but there was a timeout. So it felt like, you know, often when that happens, you aren't going to just roll out the same trick formation. They did, though. They brought it back out. And Zaire Franklin got another snap at fullback, and it was again a pass, play action pass to Mo Alley Cox. Except, you know, this one was more of like your your classic kind of leak play or a kind of flag route at the goal line. And yeah, but one of these days they will throw to Zaire. I hope. Well, number two, number two football thing that gave me joy since I'm grasping and reaching for straws on this one is uh, he said he told Shane Steichen he was fast to the flat. They let him run to the flat this time, and he was fast. He did look better at doing that than <laughs> the, the blocking thing that he was doing on the first one. I know he took a little offense to that, but it, he's cut, he's improving is what I'm saying. He's, he's getting to be a little bit more natural uh, at it. As far as it's really hard for me to come up with other football things that gave me joy, uh, I guess the closest thing I would say is it was fun. This is not at all fun for Colts fans but I enjoyed watching Jamar Chase. I did wish that I could watch him with Joe Burrow because that is the best connection in the NFL. Uh, but 
you know, half of it was was interesting enough. Uh, you know, he didn't get get to him as much. The Colts really, you know, really really respected him as they should. That that actually is what opened up a lot of the screen passes. But uh, just I don't know. I'm as a football junkie, I always enjoy seeing some of the the superstar players up close like this. So it's the first time I got to see him, and and that was at least I don't know. That was at least a little bit entertaining. Uh, Julian Blackman, this I'll I'll go with this one for my third one because I just can't really think of a whole lot in the like the actual football piece. Julian Blackman had like a very funny, uh, I don't know what to call it, like pointing out a flag. It was on the the, the play that T Higgins oh. very very obviously pushed Jalen Jones and then caught a touchdown, caught what the Bengals thought was a touchdown pass, and uh, and immediately got flagged. And <laughs> he like. He basically just walked over to it and stared at it very closely for a long time. And I'm not describing it very well, but it was hilarious. It was like, he was like, he was like, stop. Basically, he was like, stop celebrating. Just stop it. You cheated. It was very much like he was like, I'm not going to look at you. I'm going to look at the thing that's going to wipe out what you're doing. Uh, (laughs) Julian, Julian's a very uh, expressive guy. So that was, I, I could almost like hear him talking as he was doing that. I don't really have anything else, though, to be honest. No, with you. it's it's not that it's not that kind of game. It is not that kind of game. Uh, um, I will just share. I guess this isn't joy so much as it brought me some kind of feeling inside. I guess is that the only other time I've covered a game in this building was basically the same kind of thing, except different stakes. Uh, back in 2017, the Lions came here and they needed a win to get into the playoffs and they were facing at that time a very bad Bengals team they had like three wins and everyone thought they were going to fire Marvin Lewis and uh the Lions just they were this dome team that got out in the elements and couldn't really do much of anything and lost that game and and things fell apart in that game uh for that team I should say we knew Jim Call was going to get fired the locker room knew it they were very upset first time I'd seen that locker room really crack and I guess the joy in this is just Understanding that while today was a very uh, frustrating day, very bad, bad performance, and it does make uh, making the playoffs harder, it's it's nice to remember though that like the stakes for now aren't as high because they, the Colts are ahead of schedule and uh, they they are they looked. It's a lot of the reasons why they regressed today is that they are young in some spots, but. They're at year one with Shane Steich, and Anthony Richardson's barely played. So, like, this team could still have a bright future in spite of this. And I think if there's joy to take away from it, it's that as bad as today was, you know, it, it affects the playoff picture. I don't really think it changes much in the big picture. And I just remember the last time I was here, it changed everything for the big picture of a franchise. And that's not the place you want to be after a loss. Brings us back to the football stuff. Too much blame, too little blame. I don't even know where to start with this one. Uh, let's start with too little blame. Was there anybody? Oh, no, no, no. Let's start with too much blame. Is there anybody on the Colts who's getting too much blame? Anyone at all? I, I, I think this might be a pass. This is pretty hard because they kind of all deserve it. Yeah. Anybody getting blame? And then, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't. I guess if I was absolutely forced, I don't know if I want to say this. <laughs> I guess the one thing I would say is that yeah, Gus Bradley did not have a good game. None of their coaches had a good game by any means. I will say I think the defense is a little hamstrung personnel-wise today. That created some of this. We're talking playing a converted safety at linebacker. We're talking playing 
two guys at outside corner against Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, who, you know, we didn't even know would play at all this year. Uh, you know, Nick Cross has barely played. That part's on, on Gus Bradley, I guess. But just really the, the back end of this defense, you know, for a team for going up against an offense that was intentionally neutralizing the pass rush, the personnel really failed them more, I think, than the scheme. Now there's look again, Gus didn't have a good day. Like it the plan with Ronnie Harrison didn't seem to work as well as they they thought it would. You know, this is the route they chose to they as a franchise chose to take by releasing Shaquille Leonard. But I would just put a little bit more of it. Today to me was more like they paid for how they constructed that defensive roster given what they're trying to do a little bit more uh, than than the coaching. And I'd just say, like, I, I frankly, like, I I think you could easily rip Shane Steichen, Brian Mason, Jim Bob Cooter. Uh, at least I would rip those guys ahead of ripping Gus Bradley, if that makes sense. I'm going to do my too much blame and too little blame back-to-back. Too much blame. And I think they do deserve blame. I think you're right to put them as, as your villain of the game. But – I think there's a little bit too much blame on the pass rush. Um, so this is just a direct response to what I said in Villain. No, no, no. I, I still think Villain is good, but like in terms of like, in terms of like, the focus was all on the pass rush in the like the post game presser, and like I get it, no sacks, three quarterback hits, it was terrible. But I think that part of that is that there's too little blame going to the secondary that you just talked about. Yeah, that's fair. Like. It's like because there were some chances for sacks early on and there were some chances for for them to make a play. And Browning always had an outlet, an uncovered outlet frequently. And it just kind of took the teeth out of the pass rush. The the secondary did not. They always say rush and cover works together, rush and cover, rush and cover. Well, the cover part wasn't very good today either. And. It's almost like everyone was like, okay, we're going to blame Gus Bradley. We're going to blame the pass rush. We're just going to ignore the fact that the secondary is not playing very well. Um, like right down to right down to Kenny Moore slipping and not really being in position on that on the tight ends touchdown to start the second half. Like it just it just was not a good game coverage wise, and those those issues have kind of been there the whole time. So that's that, that's why I wanted to tie them together. Too much blame and too little blame because I feel like. At least in in the pre- post game press conference, this is the first impressions pod. This is like my impression. It was all about the pass rush, which has 21 sacks over the last four games. And then obviously turned in a dud today, and not as much to the secondary that has been showing leakage, and without the pass rush was fully exposed. Yeah, that's a good answer because also like you could even say you could use that even like on the screen passes because. First and foremost, yes, the, the, the pass rush was not reading them. The linebackers obviously did not play it right. But when it goes for 55 yards, the secondary didn't do it either. And on one of those plays, I think it was Joe Mixon's 45-yarder, Joe Baker Jr. just got stiff-armed to the ground. like that. And that was a moment that not only was it added yardage, but that was sort of the attitude that the Bengals brought to them. The secondary just looked – just played really scared today. And it's a tough matchup, and they're young players, and – I get some of it, but they they really looked like they were hanging on for dear life, and it was like that. that's where the rush and cover marriage fell apart is they are hanging on for dear life. The pass rush has to bring its A-plus game, and they didn't have near that today. Uh, what was the other – I think I missed you have, it. Uh, you, have a, you have a too little blame. Too little blame. So I'm going to go with Matt Gay. 
Uh, I think it just gets lost because they got blown out, and so it's like there's <laughs> we there's so much more to focus on. It's not like the four points that he left out there would have done anything ultimately, but the moments when he missed those, at that point in the game, it was it was a tight game. I mean, it was uh, you know they made the two point conversion to overcome it, so that's not at that time to overcome the missed extra point, but. The field goal was very makeable. Doink that off the left upright. And I think that just played a little bit into how tight they played. It was just like, it was, I mean, if we were taught in the press box, it's like a bad omen for this team. But I do think that, like, they felt like like their best players were not bringing it today. Matt Gay is one of those. And he was heroic in Baltimore in, in some tough conditions. Uh, this is another game, though, where, like, it, it's tougher. You're outside. It's cold on the road. But that is why you paid a kicker more than anyone's paid him in free agency. And he's had an awesome season. It's the only time I've even thought to bring him up in a negative way, really, on this podcast. But, uh, yeah, today was was a pretty bad performance from him. In fact, I think he didn't make a kick, did he? He did not. So that's not good. That's not good when you don't make a single kick. That leaves us with the the finishers. Uh one to throw away and one to go on. We always start with one to throw away because that's the whole point of it. Um, we want you to le- we want to leave you with the one to go on where you're you're that's the one to chew on. One to go away, one to throw away from this game. So a take, a take something that we're talking about now that's not going to be necessarily a consistent storyline the last four games of this season. Um, I'm gonna guess walk back a little bit of my villain uh, just that. I think it is a one-off for the pass rush for the most part. I, I do, re- I do buy this pass rush overall. Now maybe, maybe they're not number two in the league good, like their sack number had gotten to, but I still think like what I've seen season long out of we, we DeForest Buckner's done it for so many years that he we know he's an All Pro, but what I've seen season long out of Samson Ebicom, Quiddy Pay, uh, Dio Dangbo, and Tyquan Lewis. It leads me to believe that like they're they're gonna find ways they're they're gonna play better than this. This was a, a bad bad moment where they really got burned at playing over even over aggressive more aggressive than they normally play in this attack front. I think they'll find some ways to adjust and, and work some coaching points to. A lot of those guys had ideas after the game for just little things they get they could get at that would be less vulnerable against the screens and some of the boots and stuff. I just don't think we'll have games where. We have zero sacks and, and three quarterback hits and no impact plays. Like they may not be, they may not be as dominant as they looked at times against terrible offenses like the Titans and Patriots and Panthers. But they're not nearly as bad as they were today. So I don't think this needs to be like a, you know, I don't think we need to just have a complete referendum on that group and start thinking about like they don't have any, you know, any good players there. I think they're all good players. Uh, they just. You know, they, they are susceptible to a bad day because they don't have that one – certainly they don't have that one edge guy that just, like, he's matchup proof uh, completely, just like every game going to wreck it. Uh, they don't have one of those special special edge players there. So there is a little bit more of a floor to them, but I, I still think they're going to be the best unit on this team going forward. One to throw away for me, I, I don't think it's time to throw out, like, Bernhard Ryman's season – to this point because of the game he had today. We, we just saw, you know, a couple weeks ago, Tristan Wirfs have a terrible day against Samson Epicom. Like, there, there, there's going to be some bad days for tackles. Um, like, like you pointed out, he's a young player. This is his first full season as a starter. 
and and I think I think until until it starts happening over and over again, I think you bank more on what he's done so far. That might be the case for the entire offensive line a little bit in the protection today because the protection wasn't great. Um, I, the run defense, I, there are the run the running game. I, I think that might be a real thing uh, with them and not not being able to run against these these base fronts, but. I, I do think I do think that in the past protection they've been pretty good most of the season, and I think I think they'll probably get back to that. Uh, it might be tough this week against the Steelers, but I think I think they'll they'll get back to that. That that leaves us that brings us to the end. One to go on something we're talking about now. We're going to be talking about for the rest of the season. Um, hmm. I'm going to say I'm not sure if this team is ready for the big moment yet. So, you know, part of the calculation we made early in the week when I said I thought they'd be a playoff team dealt more with beating the teams on the schedule that were, like, highly beatable. And that may still work out for them. They've got the Raiders, who couldn't even score a point today against the Vikings. They've got the Falcons, who lost to the Buccaneers at home. Uh, you know, and they're, they have a losing record. They, they may find a way to have a winning record, maybe that gets them in. But counting on this team, this team hasn't really beaten good teams outside of the win against Baltimore. So they beat the Texans, who have a winning record. At that point in time, you know, Texans row in two. I feel like C.J. Stroud had just started to find himself. I mean, You get credit for it, but it's been a long time since we've – those were weeks two and three of the season where they beat the Texans and Ravens. And since then, they just – their wins have not – they haven't really gotten it done against – other teams that are frankly playoff caliber i mean the buccaneers are in it because partly because they're they're the division they're most because the division they're in but for the most part the teams that you look at and you say that's you know that's a playoff style roster um you think you know jaguars browns bengals two of those three were blowouts uh browns game obviously you know had some stuff in it they could have won but also that was the one game that that PJ Walker won for the Browns. So I just think like this, there's something a little bit, just not quite there yet, uh, with this with this roster mainly. Uh, you know they, that uh, Shane Sackett's been trying to, you know, he's been overcoming well, and it's like they're they, they've shown they're good enough to handle a lot of bad teams, and they've done that well. I think today was to me a first sign that like when they go up against kind of real opponents, uh, there are cracks in it good for them the good thing for them is i don't know if they'll face many because i don't know if the steelers count as that anymore when they've lost back-to-back games to the ravens and or the cardinals and patriots at home and they have a backup quarterback so it might not bite them it may not hold them out of the playoffs but if they make the playoffs just beating those bad teams i feel like we're going to have this conversation again in the postseason where i do think there's a a, a gap between them and, and the other teams that look like real playoff teams one to go on for me is just that you can't that they can't keep put they can't put the game on Gardner Minshew and expect to be successful. The running game did that today by not being good. They only had forty six yards, their second lowest of the season. Uh, it's it, Minshew can't carry the team. He just he just can't. He's not going to put up a ton of points when he doesn't have a running game. He's got to have the support around him. We, we're we're far enough into the season now where there shouldn't really be a debate on him anymore. He is what he is. He's a backup quarterback, and you ha- you they've been able to win with him 
Uh, some of it has been the opponent. Some of it has just been finding ways to win. You have to find ways to win. He he cannot. He's not going to carry them to a win. And and the story, I think, the offense going down the stretch here is partially who they're playing and partially just can they find a way to not make it all about Minshew in the passing game? Because we've we've seen it too many times now. Eventually, it's going to bog down. Yeah, this is. Uh, really emblematic of the day that the Colts have had that we've really barely talked about the quarterback. And that's usually, you know, a big a big point on this podcast is talking about that position. Uh, I mean, Gardner, <laughs> Gardner didn't lose it for them today. But he, he also – someone else has to win it a lot of times. That's just what life with a backup quarterback is. And, you know – he actually didn't have as many, you know, as many scary plays as he's had in other games. He had, you know, he had the one turnover today that was also under a lot of pressure. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. If, I mean, he missed, you know, he missed Kylan Granson on what I thought could be a touchdown. So, like, there were plays that he, he, he doesn't get a pass either. But he didn't. This was not a game where just like the quarterback crumbled and that was the the story. Really, the whole team crumbled, and it goes to show like. There's occasionally there are a few teams out there, like the Chiefs or the you know the Bengals when they have Joe Burrow, uh, the Bills teams like that that they have the quarterback that like you can play a bad game and they just, they're just going to will you sometimes, and the Colts, like you said they they're nowhere near that, and it, I think like one underrated part of this is if they have a if they have a really bad special teams day I don't think they can win, so it's becoming a very important unit based on what they have like their their style of team and their path to victory and I just contrast this game going on the road to Cincinnati with going on the road to Baltimore where that game Gardner Minshew didn't do much very low you know yards per attempt and uh but they won that game because Matt Gay had a heroic day and the flip side of a heroic day would be a horrific day which is what special teams did today and that's why they lost by 20 so it just goes to show there's support in the offense that Gardner Minshew has to have there's support in the pass rush that's got to kind of be there to be the uh, the, the the unit getting some explosive plays. And then the special teams have to bring their end of it, too. It really, when you hear complimentary football, this team's really going to put that to the test because they're not built, especially when Jonathan Taylor's not out there, they're not built for, like, one player to, to carry them in the offense. And certainly not that player is, is not going to be their backup quarterback. Yeah, I you know, th- there, was a, there was a missed wheel route to Josh Downs. That would have been a touchdown. Um that was that was the big miss that I can think of, like just seeing in the moment today. But there, you know, there were some other missed throws that you're just like, you just have to have it. It's got to be a better throw. Yeah, the throw to Pierce was not a good one. Like he put it in the place you would put a back shoulder, but it wasn't a back shoulder because you have to throw it. You throw a back shoulder hard and flat. And what he did was he threw a, a jump ball, um, and kind of put it to the wrong side of him. Got the defensive back back involved. It like it. He's got the missed throws. You know those are going to happen. There were some last week against Tennessee too. He just was able to make up for it with a couple other throws. It just he's he's not he can't win you the game. And I don't think the Colts are trying to put it on him. Like I don't think that's the game plan. I don't think Jim Bob Cooter and Shane Steichen are like, hey, how can we get how can we give the ball to Gardner as much as possible to have him win the game. But what they're doing, what the Colts are not doing in the run game right now is essentially asking Gardner to win the game by himself by how they're not being successful. And and that's that's a problem. And I think a great contrast with it is Jake Browning 
because he didn't necessarily win the Bengals the game with you know just him making incredible throws or, or plays on his own but there were so many every Colts def- defender I talked to today was just very impressed with the situations the Bengals put him in and the way they as a team supported him namely with explosive receivers that backed off the coverage and made some plays on the perimeter with you know the the play designs on the rollouts and the in the screen passes just keeping the ball out of harm's way for the most part he had the one pick that was not really his fault it was off the hands of a of a tight end but he's a backup quarterback who I who's more a little bit more I think you know he's he's only in his third start so there's more potential of upside for him I think than we we know what Gardner is at this point but the fact of the matter is is that like if the Bengals supported him today like the Colts supported Gardner Minshew the Bengals wouldn't have won either so this is just life with a backup quarterback they are never really almost never gonna just lift the team and usually the longer you play with one the more obvious that becomes and the best example I have of that is Josh Dobbs who got benched today by the Vikings and they won three nothing, but they did it with you know a different quarterback than than what they started with. And Josh Dobbs has been a wonderful story this season. And I, you know, but but this the longer you play with the backup, the more you're reminded that they're a backup. And so, whenever you have a backup at any position, you're trying to overcome with the players around them. And that's just kind of the the other takeaway I had from this game is that the Colts have a tough. It was a really tough injury report for them this week without Braden Smith and Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, Juju Brents and EJ Speed, and then obviously Anthony Richardson's been season long. They felt all of those absences today. So it was like when you have backups at important spots, other guys have to overcome them. They've done it for a lot this season. Today's a reminder: we're like when you don't do that, like the floor can fall out really, really quickly. The Colts have a big one coming up. The the all of a sudden this game against the Pittsburgh Steelers on Saturday is an absolute must win. The Steelers are also seven and six. There's all these teams punching up against them. Nate Nate went through and looked at all the schedules. There's some gettable schedules in there. Colts need to win it. We're gonna be we're gonna be talking with the Colts and 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 previewing this Steelers game. Play they play on Saturday, 4:30. Uh, really outside of the Germany game, this is gonna be the only national window game, at least as far as we know, until or unless they make the playoffs. Uh, for the Colts Cover Two podcast, this has been the First Impressions Edition. We are back in Indianapolis area territory. And uh, we will be back to talk to you midweek.